0: half hours and at my age that's a long trip and uh, I got off the bus and went to get my bag and they said you have to have that little ticket that I gave you when you got on the bus now I hadn't gone anywhere I've been sitting on the bus and my bag was two feet below me but uh, they wouldn't give me the bag without that little ticket and it was about the size of a you know what you get at the Chinese restaurant that little and I started searching in pockets and i could not find the ticket and the guy looked at me very adamant and he said i'm not giving you the bag without the ticket and there was another guy come around the bus and these are big two story buses they're very very nice um nothing like our buses they are they're deluxe and um i generally like to get the top story and i get up the front cuz they got a big window somebody said well what if they run into something i said well they haven't yet <laughs> so Anyway, I would see it coming. So uh, a guy come around the bus, and uh, he heard the fellow say, you, you can't have your ticket without that coupon. And I said, I'm Pastor Hattabaw, and my name is on that bag. And the guy said, give him the bags that he baptized me some years ago. I know him. <laughs> so, here in a city of a million people, a man walks up and said, I baptized him. I feel pretty good about that one. Well, praise the Lord. Would you stand with me very briefly? Grab your Bible, and let's get ready to have church. And not that we're not having church, but we're going to have some more. In Genesis chapter 12, I spoke to a man one time. Have you read the Bible? He said, I've read that Bible through from generations to revolutions. <laughs> so, Well, the book of Genesis chapter 12. And I'm going to read just a verse or two. Okay, with me? In verse 7, And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there he built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto the mountain on the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Father, we're grateful tonight for this privilege to preach your word. I pray that you will anoint the ears of the hearers and these lips to bring things that will be of eternal value. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Praise God. The Bible speaks of very... Uh, outstanding men, when you think of Abraham, you think of the father of the faithful. Uh, What's the first word that comes to mind when you think of Paul? Apostle. What's the first word that comes to mind when you think of David? King? That's a very... Difficult ones sometimes. People think of Bathsheba. They think of this. They think of that. I was in New Zealand and I was preaching and I read the scripture in the second book of Samuel chapter 24. And it said, these are the last words of David that he was lifted up on high. He became a king and he was the singer of sweet psalms. What a wonderful statement about a man's life. What do they say about your life? I told a man the other day, I looked him in the eye and I said, I wish you would tell me some words that I need to say over you because I can't think of any that are positive. Because you're going to die lost and I'm going to preach your funeral and I don't know what I should say. And he looked at me and he said, I don't like that. I said, you need to hear it. Because it's the truth, and you're going to die lost. You've had so many opportunities, and you've rejected and turned aside, and you are going to die lost. I wanted to shock him. He turned and walked away. I don't think he's in church yet today. David, they said at his end of his life, he's a singer of sweet psalms. Now, when you think of Abraham, there's some things that mark his life. And... Um, When you think of Lot, the Bible said that Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. There's a certain thing called setting a course. Setting a course. How many of you have a GPS? Well, you put that GPS and it gives you a course to take. The first time I saw one really working, I was out in Monterey Bay in California. I was on a boat with a guy. That was not a believer. Two or three other men with me were believers. And he showed me that GPS and he said, I'm going to set it on this buoy. And we went out into the sea and it was foggy and what have you. And he said, okay, we're going back to the buoy. And I couldn't see it. And that GPS brought us. And I looked and right over the bow of the boat, if he didn't turn, we was going to run into it. It was, it was there. There are certain things about the life of Abraham that uh, don't, have a lot of end direction he did not actually know where he was going when God called him he said I'm going to show you where to go and then he went to Haran he traveled about 600 miles from Ur of the Chaldees to Haran and he stopped and he was happy in Haran but he wasn't where God wanted him to be sometimes you're happy where you are but you're not where God wants you to be and if you're going to get where God wants you to be you may get disturbed Things may not fit. You may have to uproot a little bit. You may have to change some things in your life. Is there any water in this facility that could be put inside a container and brought to this pulpit? Thank you. Well, the life of Abraham, if you were to follow it, it uh, is marked. You would see some knee prints in the sand. You would see some piles of rocks. You would see some ashes and possibly smell the smell of a sacrifice of burning flesh. The life of Abraham was marked by altars, and he went here, and he built an altar. And he went there. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. And he built an altar. I guess uh, if I preach according to Brother Tenney, he drank three (laughs) bottles of water. You notice that he brought me a short. I got the message. That's all right. <laughs> Abraham would go. Thank you, brother. I'm... Abraham would go to one place and there he'd build an altar. And he'd go to another place and there he'd build an altar. And he'd go to another place. And if you look that everywhere he went, he built an altar. But this altar here is very, very unique. He built it between two cities. One of them was Bethel. Mm. House of God. House of praise. Bethel. Jesus accompanied them, the Bible said, out to Bethel. You read Bethel in the Bible, it's a place of blessing. It's lifted up. It's exalted. Every time you see Bethel, it's positive. It's good. It's wonderful. Bethel, the house of God. The place that I see Bethel that was not positive was in the book of Ruth. And it said that um, they lived in, what was the city that they lived from? They left from uh, Bethlehem, Judah. It meant house of bread and house of praise. And they went down into the land of Moab. And later she said, I went out full and I came back empty. If you will read, she left there in a famine. She left in a famine, but she said, I went out full. Sometimes you really don't know how blessed you are until you fall further down the line. You've got to recognize what God has done for you. And so here we are. Bethel is on one side. Bethel, Bethel. Oh, hallelujah. I think of Bethel. I think of praise, adoration, worship, thanksgiving, being lifted up, exalted. But on the other side, the second city that Israel tried to conquer when they went into the Promised Land. They had so much confidence in the first one. They had so much victory. They had such a great time. Oh, this is great. I got the world on the string. You know, I've got it all figured out. But they came to Ai, and they were miserably defeated. Now, in your life, there's going to be times when you stand right where Abraham built that altar. Bethel is on one side, house of praise, worship, thanksgiving, house of God. And on the other side is defeat. You will stand there more than once in your life. You will stand between the two. And the Bible said there he built an altar. And I want to encourage you to know that the secret to victory in that situation is build an altar. Oh, yeah. Learn to pray. Learn to pray. This church has many beautiful parts. I love these pews. I was in your restroom. It's, a, it's just very nicely done. Your entryway, your... Your parking lot. You got a storage building. The the church itself. You got a beautiful sign out front, and and a dedicated man of God as your pastor. I I take my hat off to you, Brother Pruitt. You got a sincere spirit. God loves that spirit. But uh, the most important part of this church is right here. I was following a semi the other day, and it said the most important and valuable asset of this company. Sets 63 feet in front of you. That's the driver. They are saying this man is valuable. I'm going to tell you today right here is where it's going to happen right here. Because at this altar, this pastor and others will preach and they'll dedicate babies and they will preach funerals and they will marry couples. But all the things that happen here, nothing is more important than you. You praying around this altar nothing is more important than you coming to know God nothing 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 right here but you see this altar is more than just prayer when uh, in Argentina we were I'll tell you what you do need is a rail going up for old men to hold on to in Argentina we're getting ready for a crusade started planning months and months and months ahead actually nine months ahead and uh, we divided up responsibilities one of the men was in charge of the prayer and he would visit the churches and encourage prayer and fasting another man was in charge of the uh, facilities getting a place for it and getting all that planning done and uh, another one was in charge of the publicity and getting the flyers and all that put up and uh, The man that was in charge of prayer, he went to every church. He said, you've got to pray. You've got to fast at least two days a week, two days or three days a week. And so prayer was made. Those people, I went to one church, and they had a dirt floor. They had no carpet. They had no rug. They had no cement. They had no nothing, just dirt. And I saw those people get down on their faces, and they prayed. And I saw people with such agony praying and seeking God that their tongues were picking up dirt off the floor and they were agonizing at the altar. And I said, oh God, surely you've got to send revival. Surely you've got to send revival because prayer is such an important factor in knowing God and serving God. I, uh, sometimes I'm a little weird. I'll just warn you ahead of time. I have been... To several countries in the world and one morning I woke up about 5 in the morning I was in Fort Lauderdale Florida helping out to build a church there that my son now pastors little old rinky-dink church started out at 160 people and they're pushing a thousand right now and um, the Lord spoke to me just I heard it as plain as I'm you're hearing me And said, I want you to go to New Zealand. And I said, wait a minute, Lord. I have never been to New Zealand. I don't know anybody in New Zealand. I don't know how to get there. And I don't have any money. He did not say another word. I didn't hear another thing. Nothing. That's it. Just get ready and go. Well, I have learned a few things in life that when God speaks to your heart, you better obey. So I started getting ready. I went on the internet, started looking. I found a pastor. I said, I believe the Lord's sending me to New Zealand. He said, come. He said, I'll have a little place for you to stay. And, and uh, I started selling things to get some money to go. I had a Theodore Roosevelt commemorative rifle, a lever action. It had a brass insignia on it that Theodore Roosevelt commemorated. It had never been fired. And I... I guess I loved that rifle a great deal. And the Lord said, you could sell that and get some money for the ticket. So it had to go. I was sad, but not very long, because I said, God's got something good. And so uh, I flew to, from Fort Lauderdale to Los Angeles, five hours. And I boarded a plane in Los Angeles, and I flew 14 and a half hours to Auckland, New Zealand to meet a man that I had never seen before and hopefully he was gonna be there. And uh, I walked around the airport and I saw a man and I said, that's gotta be him. And I said, are you brother Joseph Howard? And he said, yes, I am. And he said, your brother had a ball. And I said, yes. He said, I'm glad you're here. He said, are you ready to go to work? Now, let me tell you something. <clears throat> I had just flown you know, two hours in the L.A. airport, five hours on that plane, 14 and a half hours on this plane. I mean, my feet are swollen, my, my body's aching, I'm, I'm I'm feeling like I just got out of a sardine can. We sat down and had a cup of coffee, and he put me in a car with a chauffeur and said, I want you to go down to Gisbon. And the trip was supposed to be seven hours, and we took the wrong road, and it was nine hours. And uh, Gisborne is where Captain Cook landed when he discovered the country. Uh, Princess Diana was there. The queen was there on the 200th anniversary. And I stood where the queen stood. I was very pious there. And uh, I preached there. But on the way there, on the way, I uh, looked over at the gas gauge. Now, we got on the wrong road. I told the brother, I said, the road we're supposed to take is red and this one is gray. He said, it goes there, don't it? I said, yeah, but it... He said, never mind. It was gravel. And then it was dirt. And it went through the mountains. And one place the mountain had caved off. And we got two wheels here and two wheels up on the mountainside. And and it's 2,000 feet down. And we're going like this. And I looked at the gas gauge and I said, we're out of gas. He said, we can't be. I filled up this morning. I said, we've been on the road now for about eight and a half hours. Well, he said, there's no gas out here. I said, that's pretty evident. We hadn't seen a house. We hadn't seen anything. I looked at the map, and I calculated, and I said, we are 25 miles to the next place, and that gas needle is not moving. It's staying there. Well, I said, the next house we come to, we come to five houses, and there was a little creek running. I said, pull in here. He said, there's no gas station. I said, pull in here. And he sat there like you know, I got out and went to the back station. Now these people are Maoris; they're six foot plus, six foot six. I, I stood beside sixteen-year-old young people that were six inches taller than I am. And uh, they got shocks and shocks of real thick black hair, and they most of the men got it tied in a ponytail behind their head. I went to the first place way in the back, and they said, "No, we don't have gas. Get on out of here." And the next place, they didn't even answer the door. And the third place said, well, there's a guy up here that's got a generator, and I think he went to buy some gas, and he might have gas. So I went to the next house, and there you don't just walk up and knock on the door. You stand outside and clap your hands. And uh, they come out, and if you're accepted, they do a funny thing. They stick their tongue out at you. Everybody stick your tongue out. That means you're welcome. (laughs) Now... (laughs) It doesn't quite mean the same here. And this guy come out of the house. He had an American-type haircut. He started wringing his hands, and he smiled. And he said, you think you're lost, don't you? I said, I am lost, mister. He said, no, you're not. He said, let me tell you something. He said, I have prayed for several years that God would send somebody to my village to preach the gospel, and he sent you. Now, I hadn't even said a word yet. And I just stopped and I said, God, you're bigger than I can even imagine. And I shared with the gospel as much as I could. I pulled out some CDs and I said, Does anybody have a CD player? I had some music CDs and what have you and some preaching. He said, No, but the next village they do and I'll get them all together and we will hear it. And so uh, we bought the 20 liters of gasoline and went on down the road. And I said, God, you had a plan. You had a plan. I'm halfway around the world laying in a little cot, and the Lord said, go to New Zealand. And he's on the other side of the world saying, God, send somebody. There may be a neighbor of yours that's praying, God, send somebody. Come on. Just do it. And uh, then a few days later I was woken up early in the morning and the Lord gave me a scripture, I think it's Zechariah 11.7, if somebody would get that to read for me. And it said the Lord had put two bands. And I said, what is that? I don't generally just grab the Bible at 5 o'clock in the morning and start reading in Zechariah. I can tell you that. Not my favorite dedicatorial or, or devotional book. And uh, somebody got that scripture, Zechariah eleven seven. Is it in your Bible, even? Stand up and read it, brother, or tell us. Yeah, better stand up so we can hear you good. I will feed the flock of slaughter. Oh, it's up there. Mm Mm-hmm. And oh, poor of the flock. Anybody here ever fatten up animals to take the slaughter? Do you take the skinny animals or the fat animals? He said, the poor. How in the world is he going to take a flock to the slaughter that are poor? He said, the poor of the flock. Now, he's wanting to get their attention. And he said, I took unto me two staves. Now, look at it. One of them he called beauty. And the other he called bands. Now, when you look into that, it means grace and union. Now, there's some things that God wants us to have, and it's grace enough to accept people that aren't just like us and union in the body of Christ. I said, I don't know why you're giving me this scripture. I got up and went to breakfast, and Brother Brother Joseph Howard said, Brother Hattaball, we're going to go see Brother Ringe Hehe. Can you say that? Hehe. That's his name, Hehe h-e-i-h-e-i hey hey i said we are he said yes he's a pastor i want you to meet him we had breakfast and did a few things and got in the car and drove over on the other side of Auckland excuse me we pulled up on a hill and then he lived up on another hill and we drove up the driveway and got up there and he came out he was an older gentleman and uh, he said come in and of course the Uh, one of the customs is, is they're going to serve you some tea and some little hard cakes. Tell you those cakes, you could have killed the dog throwing them at him. And if it didn't hit it, throwing at it, it would have killed him when he ate it. It was so hard. Anyway, we sat down and had some tea and I felt something. I felt a little nudge and said, give it to him. And I said, that's who that scripture was for. And so, Brother hey, hey, I've got a scripture to read for you. And, and I read that scripture, and I said, uh, God wants to bring some union. Do you know there was five Jesus' name organizations in the country of New Zealand, and most of them didn't even speak to the other one? My, my, my. And he started to weep. And he said, Brother Hattabaw, God sent you. I want you to preach at my church Sunday night. He said, I'm going over to Australia to preach, but I'm going to tell them, and they're going to call all the other churches in the area, and you are going to preach Sunday night. So I went to their church Sunday night, and I'm preaching along and having a good old time and being blessed and highly favored, and they had shouted, but I noticed this group would shout, and then this group would shout, and then this group would shout. I thought, was kind of strange. Looked like a three-legged chicken or something, you know? <laughs> and uh, the Lord just kind of stopped me. And I read it in Matthew 5. You can find it right quick for me. It said, when you come to the altar to offer a sacrifice, and you remember that you have ought against your brother, you stop. You know, when you come into church to pray and to worship, and the brother touched it tonight, worship is something we offer to God. But when you come to give worship and praise, that's a sacrifice to God. And he said, when you come to offer a sacrifice and you remember, did somebody find that scripture? Which one is it? Oh, Lord, come on now. Come on now. It's Matthew 5, 23. Read it. Can we have it on the screen, Matthew 5? Oh, man, these guys are good. Therefore, bring when you bring a gift to the altar. Now, that altar is a place of prayer. It's a place of worship, and it's a place of sacrifice. When you bring a gift to the altar and uh, you remember, you remember that there's something between you and your brother, your neighbor, or your friend, or somebody, leave it there. (coughs) Can you say that? Leave it there. there. Say it again. Say it like you mean it. it Then what you're going to do? You're going to go. And you're going to be reconciled. Make it right. Now, I did not know that all those factions existed. I did not know that there was all those feelings. I did not know that the group sitting over here had not spoken to this group over here in 10 years. And and I'll tell you what, the church just went cold. They sat there and they looked at me. And I didn't know what to say. So we began to pray. And all of a sudden, a man from over here got up. And he went to a leader of this group over here. And he put his arm around his neck and he started to cry. And he said, I'm sorry. I want to make things right. And there was a spirit begin to break in that service. And they began to worship. And people went and making things right and asking for forgiveness and Oh, man, it was a joyous occasion. Oh, let me tell you, my friend, when you come to this altar, it'll make some things right. You've got to leave some things at the altar. It's not all just run in and run out. Sometimes you've got to tarry at the altar. You've got to spend some time with the Lord. Prayer. Prayer. So important. Learn to pray. Learn to pray. Learn to pray, and then worship. If you're going to worship God, you've got to get a clean heart. You've got to get a clean spirit. You've got to clean yourself out. Amen. Worship. I, uh, I'm going to borrow this chair, if you don't mind. I went to preach on the west side of Argentina, and I took a man with me by the name of Emilio Doge. He was a German man. His hair was very light, and his eyes were blue, and he did not look like an Argentine at all. And he spoke rather harshly, and he was what I call wild faith. He would ask God for things that I couldn't even think about. And uh, we were preaching a crusade. People started getting healed. And a woman walked up that had a withered arm. Now, I read that in the Bible, but I had never seen it. And uh, she was from the country. It was obvious that she had a couple of boys, and... I don't think they'd ever been to school. They look pretty wild. I mean, they're grown boys, but they probably worked on a livestock farm or ranch. She had been kicked by a horse or a mule, and her arm withered up. And uh, they come up for prayer. You see, before you arrive at that point, we need a lot of prayer. We need a lot of unity. We don't need discord. We don't need feelings. We don't need envy and strife and all that stuff. Get it cleaned out. Get it all done. Go to your brother and make it right. Because we're getting ready for a move of God. And that's the way you get ready for a move of God. And so this brother, Dosh, he looked at that sister and he said, Raise your hands and worship. Well, you know, she raised that one hand easy. And sometimes that's what we give to God is what doesn't cost us much. It's easy. But the other one, it cost a lot. And she started pushing that arm out. And I watched her as she pushed it out as far as she could with her body. And when you go all you can do, then God's going to help you do the rest. And when she started to move her arm up, I was standing, Brother Pruitt, would you stand up please, and I was standing as close to her as Brother Pruitt and I. And I watched as she began to raise her arms, I saw that blood vessel right there begin to pump, boom, 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 and. As she was going up, the flesh kept growing on that arm. And the color changed from a dark brown like a pair of old leather shoes to a natural color of skin. And it went up, and that crowd didn't say a word. There was a hush. People were weeping and crying and worshiping God. And she kept raising it up. Because you see, if you're going to reach God, it's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some worship. It's going to take going beyond the norm. And she reached up. And when she got to the top, I saw those fingers which looked somewhat like an eagle's claws. It began to open up. And there... She raised that hand and opened it up and moved those fingers. Oh, the Spirit of the Lord fell in that place. You see, prayer, it's where it begins. And then it moves into the realm of worship. And you can worship and get more things from God than you can praying to get things from God. So worship, 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 worship. And then move into the realm of sacrifice. Thank you. brother. Move into the realm of sacrifice. Abraham built an altar between Bethel and Ai. Between victory and defeat. Between being lifted up and thrown down to the ground. Right in between. But we really remember Abraham not for Bethel and Ai. We remember him for on down the road... When God spoke to him and said, uh, Abraham, you take your son. Now, he had another son that was a, not a son of the promise. But God said, take your only son. This was the only one he recognized. And he said, you take him and you offer him as a sacrifice. You see, in life, there's some things you've got to give up. They say in Africa that one of the ways that people can catch wild monkeys, is they take a glass jug and they put some real colorful marbles in it and they hang it out in a tree. (coughs) And the monkeys will come and they'll play around and they see those marbles and they want one. And they're trying to get at it. And finally they discover that they can stick their hand down in through that neck of the jug and they get a handful of marbles. And they get it in their hand and they really want it. But the hunter says, they want it so bad that even when they see me coming and they scream and they jump and they jerk, they won't turn loose of the marbles so they can run away. They want this so bad. Do you know there's people that have things in their life that they will not give up? They will not lay it on the altar. They will not put it there. They have got to learn that some things you're going to have to lay aside if you really want to get close to Him. In the book of Exodus, it says, If you would build an altar unto me, don't build it out of hewn stones. He said, don't lift up a tool upon it. There's some things that God don't want you to change. Somebody said, oh, you're just making a big deal about the name of Jesus. Let me tell you something. This altar is built out of crude stones. This is the altar that you don't change nothing. This is the altar that he he took that stone that was hewn out of the mountain without hands. This is the altar that... uh, You did not change one thing. It's the altar, the crude stone, the unchanged. You didn't chisel it. You didn't take it off. You didn't add to it. There it is. Sacrifice. If you are going to attain what God wants for you in your life, you will have to learn the secret of sacrifice. Secret of sacrifice. I was in a service and I watched people as they gave and I don't, Generally pay any attention to what people do because I feel like it's between them and God But I watched a man that I knew about much who earned and he went up and he put a hundred dollar bill in the offering it was for a special cause and And uh, I watched other men that earned about the same amount of money And they go up and put in a dollar or five dollars And I said God why would this man put in a hundred dollars when that man put in a dollar or five dollars he said, well, I spoke to him before to put in 10 and he did it. And I spoke to him to put in 20 and he did it. I knew that I could trust him, and so he told him to put in $100. Some years ago, I was building a school. It was going to be a school, a church, national offices in Buenos Aires. It was a half a block off of the main east-west thoroughfare. It used to be an old social club, and we bought it. We rented it for two years, and uh, began to negotiate to buy. And they wanted 125,000 American dollars, or that in equivalent. We didn't have the money. I tried to raise some money, and I went around preaching. I went over to East Tennessee, I believe it was Knoxville, and uh, preached in a church there. And uh, the pastor said, I think we should make a sacrificial offering. And he said, what do you folks think? And they said, well, do all we can. Somebody said, well, we need to give $100. Somebody else said, we need to do this. He said, the Lord spoke to me and told me to empty out the treasury. And so they emptied the treasury, and they sent a check for over $10,000. And we were able to get over the hump, and I negotiated for this property and they dropped from 130,000 down to 100 and down to 90 and down to 80 and down to 70 and i was offering 30 and they said you haven't moved and i finally got back with them and got down to 50 and they said no we're not going any lower and we went back to the church and prayed and the real estate agent called me up and said they're down to 40 he said you've got to do something i said we'll do 35 i didn't have the 35 I can tell you honestly, we did not have the thirty five thousand. We had right close to thirty. And uh, I said, Tell them we'll do thirty-five. And they said, No, no, no. And three or four days later they called back and said, We'll take it. I said, Oh God, I only got thirty thousand. I offered thirty five. What am I gonna do? And so I had to go down and meet with them and lay the cash on the table. I need five thousand dollars. That night, the peso dropped, and the dollar went up. And that 30000 became 35000 in their money in one night. And I walked in, and I laid the money on the counter, and we signed the documents, and the church became ours, or the building. And then we renovated, and we did this, and we did that. But that church in East Tennessee emptied out the treasury. The highway was taking their church. And they were not able to find a piece of land. And so after they did that, a lady called up that had a beautiful piece of acreage on a hillside that they had tried their best to get. She wouldn't sell it. She called the pastor and said, it is evaluated at like 150000 And I don't even want to sell it to the church, but something tells me I have to do it. And I'm going to sell it to you for $60,000. So, what they did, God brought it back. You can't outgive God. You cannot outgive God. You see, sacrifice will bring God's spirit and blessing. Amen? Well, I know I've tired you quite a while, but you see, the altar is such an important place. I preached in Wairangi, New Zealand, which is one of the tip of the North Island, right up in the tip. I preached on a Saturday morning, and they said, you've got two hours. And I preached hard. I was exhausted. And I sat down, and they brought me a glass of water or something. And they sang a song, and they said, Brother Hatterball, can you preach again? I thought they was talking about an afternoon service we'd. And I said, yes, I can preach again. And they said, okay, everybody sit down. Brother Hadball's going to preach again. <laughs> <coughs> and while I was preaching, it came to mind that in that city there were three Jesus-named churches and not one of them could speak to the other one, and they, each one of them had a small group of people. And I said, what you really need to do is some of you folks close your church, tell the people to go help out the other church, and go start a new church. And they looked at me. Me? I said, you think God's pleased with your little rinky-dink stuff? Why don't you go to a new city? Now, I don't want to name no names, but they hadn't started a new church. And there was a missionary there for years. Had not started a new church in 10 years. And one of the pastors at the close of the service got up and said, I'm going to resign close our church, and I'm going to Plymouth, which is way on the western side of the island, and I'm going to start a new church. Oh, glory to God. Beginnings are small. I have been arrested. I've been thrown in jail. I've been, uh, you know, humiliated, all that stuff. But it's preaching the gospel, and God will bring results. I got stopped by the police on the road. And he said, well, let me check this. Let me check that. And I said, "Uh, I know why you stopped me. Because you saw that I was a North American and I'm in a vehicle. And you figure I got money and you want some money. Let me tell you what I got. And I start preaching the gospel to him. he said, I don't want to hear that. I said, you need to hear it. And he got a whole line of traffic behind him. They're all waiting to be (laughs) checked by this policeman. I just kept on preaching. Finally, he said, get out of here. And I gave him a gospel track, and I said, there's another checkpoint down the road, and I don't think you're ready to pass it. And I look back, and he's reading the track, and all those people are still waiting. Well, I got arrested another place, going through a police check. And uh, I went around the corner with driving with one hand. It was a rotary-like, and I put one hand on there to keep them, you know, just keep it kind of from sliding over. And Police stopped me and took me in, and the sergeant said, well, you are going to pay $20. He was in the back. He was asleep, obviously. His necktie was off to one side. His hair was all messed up. His clothes were wrinkled. He said, $20. There is a law you can't drive with one hand. And I said, well, where's the law? I want to see it. Because what I preach about the Bible, I can show you in the Bible. And I started preaching to him about the Lord. He said, I don't want to hear that. I said, yeah, you need to hear that. And he said, The only grace there is is with God. I said, You need to hear about the grace of God. And he went searching through that book, and the more he searched, the more I laid it on him. And I just kept on preaching and kept on preaching. And finally he found it, and he said, There it is. And I read it, and it was about 30 years old, and it said the fine will be, it was an equivalent of 20 cents. I said, Okay, I'll give you 20 cents. He said, But that law has been changed, it's been upgraded. I said, Okay, go find it. And I just went back to preaching. He is getting so nervous, and I'm just laying it on him. And that guy that arrested me, he's there because he wants his cut of whatever. And I kept on preaching, and finally he just said, get your papers and get out. And so they took, gave me my registration, my driver's license, and I got out. And uh, he said, I don't want to hear that. I said, you need to hear it. So about a month later, guess what? I came back through the same area, and they arrested me because I had something sticking out of the trunk. They said, you can't have that, and took me in. And this sergeant come out, and he said, get him out! Get him out! Don't let him in the door! He will (laughs) preach us to death! (laughs) Everywhere that you go, somebody needs to know the Lord. I had a flat tire. I don't like having flat tires. In South America, people's got a little fruit stand. They take the fruit boxes, lay them out in the street and burn them. There's nails and all kinds of stuff there. You drive over and you get a flat. I asked the guy, why do you do that? He said, I don't have a car. If you can afford a car, you can afford a tire fix. <laughs> well, you rascal. I went in to get the tire fixed. And while I'm standing there, as a guy walked up. And I began to talk to him about the Lord. And he said, hey, I like to hear that. Why don't you come and preach to my family? So I went over there, and he said, well, why don't you go and preach to this church? And I went over there, preached to them. I preached a two-week revival. And they were Trinity. And they said, wow, we never heard so much stuff like that. Too bad we didn't understand much of it because your Spanish is not very good. And they said, there's another man you need to meet. And so he said, it's just down the road a piece. Let's go see him next week. So I decided to go pick up this pastor, and we... Well, that down the road piece was eight hours' drive. And we got to the city, and I said, what's the address? And he said, I don't know. He said, I threw it away. He said, uh, they said it wouldn't be a trouble to find it. said, it's a tree-lined street. Let me tell you something. Every, every street in that city was tree-lined. And he said, it's a figurifico. Well, a figurifico can be an apple packing or a butcher place or what have you. And there's dozens of them there. And we went down one street. He said, this is it. Went down another street. This is it. Finally, we went down another street and found the place. He said, oh, this is it. And we drove in and met this man. he was an investigator of brands on cattle. And I found out that he had to know 300 brands by memory. And he said, on my word, a man will hang if 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 an animal is stolen. And I declare it to be stolen. He'll hang. So he's pretty powerful. And they prepared some food for us. And then we sat down at the table and opened the Bibles. Everybody else went to bed and it was 9 o'clock and then it was 10 and then it was 12. And at 2 in the morning, he jumped up and he said, I can see it. He said, baptism in Jesus' name is right. He said, I have always believed that it should be in the name of Jesus and not in the Trinity. He said, it is right. Get to bed. We got a lot of work to do. And so the next few days we went visiting churches. He was involved with five churches and we started baptizing people. And we baptized people in every church. One church baptized the entire congregation except the pastor. And he threw me out. I don't want to ever see you again. Get out. Get out, town. Well, about a month later, one of the national workers convinced him and he's baptized. And today he is a pastor. But that's not the end of the story. He moved to another city and the young Bolivian boy came in there and took the church by the way the assembly God said we don't want the church anymore you want to buy it so we bought the church put the people back in the church but it started growing and so they couldn't fit them in this young Bolivian boy has built a church that will seat over 1200 people wow. and uh, he now is running a strong thousand believers it is one of the largest churches in the country of Argentina, it all started with a flat tire. God bless you.